This is Five on Three. Center ice for all things Islanders, Rangers, and all news across the NHL on WFUV Sports. Welcome back to Five on Three, WFUV's NHL podcast. Mike Messina, Tyler Mooney. I'm Chris Hennessy on a scorching hot Tuesday, June 29th, the day after um, a game one beat down by the Tampa Bay Lightning of the Montreal Canadiens, the day after a head-scratching press conference from Commissioner Bettman, and in the wake of Blackhawks scandals and a lot, a lot to talk about. Um, boys, how was the weekend? I hope you are attempting at your best to stay cool because it is freaking hot out here. Chris, it is, I, I think it's 96, 97 right now. It's probably the hottest I've ever been right now. And, and I'm dying. I'm dying. I'm sitting in my room that has has one small window and I had to turn the fan off because it, I it, like you guys would not be able to hear me if I had it on. I'm sitting here sweating <laughs> like profusely and it's killing me. But other than that, I'm doing great. How are they making ice in Tampa right now? I just don't know. <laughs> I just don't know. People who live in Florida year round and especially for the summer are psychotic. They're psychotic. I would, I would agree with that. Um, unfortunately, we have to start with um, really just gunt wrenching and the news you don't want to hear. And we talked about this with Tom Wilson when, you know, when news comes off the ice, that's where it really becomes upsetting to me personally. Cause I, I, I hate when the sports and the news for the wrong reasons. Um, but this one's even worse than, than what we've talked about this year. And this is the Blackhawks uh, video coach, Brad Aldrich. He was the video coach for the 2010 Stanley Cup champion Blackhawks. He was accused of essentially assaulting two uh, Blackhawks players. An unidentified former player from that team is putting in a lawsuit. Um, and the quotes say that everybody knew about it. Uh, those are the unanimous quotes. You put a face to it with Mark Bergevin, who was director of player personnel at the time, now the general manager of the uh, Canadiens, and Nick Luddy, then on the Blackhawks, now on the Islanders. And they say they didn't know about it. Um, it's it's confusing. It's uh, upsetting. And uh, Gary Bettman said nothing about it. So it's really just an interesting time in NHL media right now, Tyler. And I have to give it up to everybody – who was part of Gary Bettman's press conference the other day, because it was like the first, third, fourth, and fifth questions asked were all about this. And he didn't give a straight answer. Yeah. It was clear that that was the, the dominant thing that reporters were looking for a little bit of clarity on during that press conference. And it was pretty obvious very early on after the first or second question that Bettman was kind of, you know, going to toe the fence. He wasn't going to really make any, you know, definitive statement on the issue, but, you said it, Chris. I mean, it's, it's very unfortunate what happened. And, you know, just reading, you know, articles about what players who were on that team and were in that organization were saying, it does seem like this was kind of not the best kept secret. We'll just say it that way. I saw an article that even mentioned Dan Carcillo, who was a player on the Flyers at the time, who the Blackhawks meant in the Stanley Cup final. And he said even some of the Flyers players were hearing whispers that this was going on. So, you know, it's kind of you're in this weird situation where you have these players who are saying, yeah, you know, we kind of knew something was going on, but now you have these guys in upper management, Stan Bowman, 
Mark Bergevin, who are denying that they had any idea this happened. So, I mean, some, something has to give, somebody has to be lying. And I think it goes without saying that if it does come out that these, uh, the, the management of the Blackhawks knew about this and, and did nothing, which is what, um, you know, some of these players are saying, they, they should definitely be fired immediately. They shouldn't have jobs in hockey. And that, that goes for Mark Bergevin. Well, if it comes out that Mark Bergevin knew, I think the Canadians would do the right thing and just, they should not have him as the general manager. So it, it's a really unfortunate scenario. I do kind of understand Gary Bettman saying, you know, we'll see, we'll wait for this independent council. We'll see what happens, but it would have been nice to see him take a little bit more of a stronger stance. Cause he really didn't say much at all. Yeah. And I actually don't, I don't hate that. He didn't say much at all. Honestly. Um, I'd rather have all the facts and have all the information that, that they need in order to do the investigation to get the answers that, that, that they want to get before Gary Bettman comes out and just misleads the fans, the media and everyone else watching. So I don't, I, I don't necessarily hate the, the stance that he took that like he kind of went around giving a straight answer and, and really didn't answer the question at all besides we're, we're doing an investigation on it. So I don't hate that, but I completely understand why everyone wants answers as I'm sure everyone who's a fan or just in general wants answers as to what happened. And Tyler, just like you said, um, everyone should be fired. If this comes out to be true, it's not what's supposed to happen. Obviously no one likes to hear stories like this. And it's just kind of disgusting that, that it's taken this long to come out now, 11 years later. Um, and that everyone involved mostly still has jobs either with that organization or with another, with a different organization. So something's going to have to get, and I'm sure here shortly we'll be getting some answers and people will be getting fired or face actual charges. So we have to see with that, but it's just sad to see when, when this league is in the news for bad reasons, obviously because the game's still growing and, and people, we want people to start watching the game more and understanding it, but this is just a bad look. And, and for everyone to kind of be blowing this under the table, isn't, isn't good to see. Yeah. I think it's hard to say, you know, you don't, you can't have Gary Bettman out there saying, Oh, he's guilty. We know it. Like, cause there's an investigation pending. I just don't necessarily think it's a coincidence that the investigation started one day and the press conference was the next day. I guess that's more my point than anything is he can't say anything because there's an ongoing investigation, but the investigation investigation started the day before he meets the media every single year. Like it's a and planned he, meeting. He knew he was going to be getting yeah. ripped with questions. As he could. And, and look, Katie Strang has done an absolute like banging job on this. Cause this has been unreal from Katie Strang at the athletic. And she was one of the ones who asked the question was like, Hey, like, when did you know about this? And he didn't even answer her. She's the one who found all of it out. She probably knows the answer to that question. Well, that's why she asked. She wanted to. He barely answered. It's like, dude, just say, just say when you found out. Yeah, it was three weeks ago. Okay, fine. We all found out five days ago. But if you found out three weeks ago, that's not that bad. If you found out eleven years ago, that's a different story. I mean, you just say it was three weeks ago. That's not that big of a deal. He doesn't even answer the question. He said, you know, relatively recently, and then he followed up with considering that, you know, publicly we've known or this has been known publicly that this happened 10 years ago. Well, what is relatively recently? Is that, you know, a couple of days ago, is it a couple of weeks ago? Is it a couple of months ago? I mean, so I think, I think if he had known, you know, it's tough to say on one hand, I think, you know, if the NHL had really just found out about this a week ago, he would have come out and said it. Cause you know, that 
looks better for the NHL. Whereas he says, yeah, we knew a couple months ago that looks horrible for the NHL. But at the same time, I do get, you want to stay consistent. And if he's not going to comment on anything about the investigation, why would he then, you know, comment on when he found out? I think it's much easier for Bettman if you just keep this straight stance of not going to comment on anything until we get some further clarity. And I mean, typical Bettman fashion. I mean, that that's going to be the answers we're getting with any sticky situation that, that comes in the future as well. I mean, that that's what we always get. Just tries to beat around the bush and it's common. It, it, it's pretty much what we all figured was going to happen when he was asked that questions, but answers are going to come out and, and people are going to, people are going to want, are, are going to want things to happen, repercussions to happen to these individuals. So we have to see how, how the steps that are taken in order to get these steps and, and see what, happens to, to these coaches and, and these players afterwards. So who knows, who, who knows what direction this can actually go in. Yeah. If it comes out, he found out when Katie Strang found out, then whatever, then uh, there's nothing to be upset about. But if it comes out, he knew about this in 2011, that's going to be an issue. Um, the rest of his press conference. I don't know why I watch this every single year. Cause he never says anything. Um, the Olympics one is the one that aggravated me the most followed closely by the officiating. Those are the three big, Headlines from the, from the State of the League press conference um, was Blackhawks, Olympics, officiating. The Olympics answer was basically, I don't want to go to the Olympics, but the players want to go to the Olympics, so we'll see what we can do, which does not lead me to believe they're going to the Olympics. Um, Victor Hedman was asked about it today by Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. He basically said, since I've been here, you know, I haven't gotten to the Olympics it's been a lifelong dream of mine to play for Sweden, win a gold medal, and it doesn't look like I'm going to be able to do it. Um, I hope that Gary Bretman gets peer pressured into letting them go to the Olympics because I love the Olympics when the NHL is there. But, Mike, um, it really did not sound very promising, which sucks. Yeah, he, I, I was re- re-watching specifically that that like little segment from his press conference today. Let me get this straight, just, just so – myself and everyone is in the same boat. So they, the season would stop for a week or two, right? But they go play in the Olympics and come back. That's See, right. I actually really like that. I like that a lot. I, I like the, to give the players a break from um, pretty much their everyday life and give them a little switch up, obviously go play in the Olympics and play with players that they might not play with on an everyday basis and, and just be able to get better at your game and learn just because they're in the NHL. They still have to learn and get better every day. And, and this can potentially give them that resource to do that and i'm pretty sure i'm i'm speculating here not many players in the league if they have the opportunity to play on an olympic team would say no so why not let them do that while they're still in that shape and and still have that drive to do what they want to do i mean it's foolish to not let these players go and play in the olympics for their home country i mean that can only bring that much more publicity to the game of hockey. And that's what should be getting done. Anything that can bring fans and more eyes to the game, that should be happening. And it doesn't seem like Bettman's going to be budging on this Olympic stance, but I think it'd be pretty, pretty dumb and foolish of him not to want to go. I mean, what's, what bad can happen? What can go bad from sending his players to play in the Olympics? I mean, they all they, get hurt. That, much that's what happened. They, they could get hurt. They all get hurt, yeah. and he loses the all-star money, which is why it why, why it went away in the first place. 
right? And I, I know that John, this is a sheltered view of it, and John Tavares is the only person to ever get hurt at the Olympics, but John Tavares got hurt in the 2014 Olympics, didn't play for the rest of the season for the Islanders. They were terrible that year. It didn't matter. And they lost out on the, the All-Star game money from that year. So it's like, what benefit did they really have? They lost a team for playoff contention because their best player got hurt playing for Team Canada. Like, I don't know. I, I understand why in a money circumstance you don't want to go, but, like, if the players want to go, like, who really can't, like – they should have that option. They exactly. should have, just let them go. Like, I don't know. Like, of course, there's something basketball has figured out. And we have that. That's really what it comes down to. The NBA has got this figured out to a GD science. Like they have everything else figured out. And we are still having this argument in 2021. I will say it is easier for the NBA because it's in the off season versus the NHL. It is smack in the middle of the year, but the Olympic break, I think whether you're playing in the Olympics or you're an NHL player or not, I think everybody loves it. You either get to go play for your country, something that everybody dreams of, or you get this nice two and a half week break in the middle of the year to prepare for the stretch run. Cause once the Olympic break ends, I believe it's in normally the Olympics are in February. We'll call it. You got, you know, a month, a month and a half stretch run to the Stanley cup playoffs. So I think that break is kind of great for everybody. And I do definitely understand the concerns. Um, it seemed like, you know, Bettman, he, he, a, a big reason he's pulling out was, you know, we got to come up with this schedule soon and, Ideally, we would have liked to get this done earlier. He did. He said that directly, but we haven't got it done to this point. But I mean, how hard would it really be, at least scheduling wise? Okay, you you create the schedule. You have you put in this two week break for the Olympics, and then say it doesn't end up working out. I mean, you just shrink the break, or maybe you throw the All Star game in that break. So I feel like using oh, we need to release a schedule before the draft as an excuse of why this isn't going to get done. I just think that's a weak excuse in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And he also used the COVID crutch and then yes. four hours later played a game in front of 18,000 people. Exactly. Okie doke. Um, and the last thing was officiating. I can't, I, I don't know what else I expected him to say besides we have the best officials, but he's, that's just a lie. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, he, he's not, he's not going to, he's not going to say they have bad officials. He, I, he's I don't expect him to, but he also did just lie, but it's fine. Yeah. Um, so that was the Gary Bettman press conference, an annual angry episode of this podcast for me. Um, the New York Islanders lost game seven in one of the worst losses you could have ever drawn up a one, nothing shellacking one. It should have been a three, nothing game easily four maybe. And the one goal was a shorty by Yanni Gord. Um, the Islanders played one of their worst games of the entire playoffs um, maybe outside of game five of this series and they lose one, nothing on the road. Um, and it really hurts because I am, you know, it, it's a different sport. I do understand that, but I am a Jets fan and I'm a Yankee fan and the Jets went to back-to-back AFC championship games have not been to the playoffs since the Yankees went to the ALCS two and three years in 2017 and 19 and lost the lost in the playoffs last year and are pretty bad this year. So it's like, I, I understand from other sports and Tyler as a Phillies fan and as an Eagles fan, you understand that Mike, you're with me on the Yankees. Like we understand that you do not get this opportunity every year. Not every team is the lightning. Not every team is, you know, you know whatever. There's a thousand examples. Um, and this is a really, really tough off season for the Islanders. Beauvillier, Pellick, Sorokin, RFAs, Sezikis, UFA, uh, expansion drafts. Oh my God, there's just a lot. So it's a really, really tough loss. 
Obviously, the last game in that building will go down in history as one of the best last games in any building's history, um, but a heartbreaker on Friday night. Yeah, heart- heartbreaking to say the least. Um, they just didn't show up, man. They, they didn't play the uh, type of hockey that they played all series and playoffs long. They It wasn't really that much of an aggressive game from the Islanders' standpoint. They didn't get – do, do you know off the top of your head how many shots they had all game, Chris? 18, I believe. Compared compared to what? Do you know what Tampa Bay had? Uh, let me get it. It was – I think Varley made like over 20 saves. Yeah, my guess was going to say probably 25. Oh, 31. He made 30. 30. Like they need to be they, – they can't be losing the, in the shot department by 13 shots yeah. in game seven. Right? They need to get every opportunity they can to get that puck on net and, and slither one past Vasilevsky, and it just couldn't happen. Nothing they did could could get anything going and, and get a puck past Vasilevsky. I mean, he was lights out and, and – he was lights out a lot of the times during this playoff. So it, it really didn't surprise me to see um, to see him do the same exact thing that he that he's been doing in game seven and clearly did last night. So yeah, I saw this thing on Twitter, which we can all commemorate together. New York hockey fans, the handshake emoji getting shut out by the lightning with a trip to Stanley Cup final on the line, because it happened to the Rangers a couple years ago as well. But yeah, um, really tough performance from the Islanders and that the one goal of the game was just kind of a microcosm of it all. You got three players going into the corner on a power play and you leave Yanni Gord wide open in the slot and they just didn't, you, you, you nailed it, Mike. They just didn't play the way that they had played all the season. I don't know if it was nerves, but it, it almost felt like, you know, destiny, destiny that versus the Pollock save and then you got – Coming back in game six, Bovillier scores. I thought the Islanders were, were going to pull it off, and this seemed like the year that they were going to do it. Um, it is a very tough offseason. I think they'll definitely be back in the playoffs, but it, it definitely hurts, I feel, for you, Chris, and I feel for all Islanders fans to be so close two years in a row, especially this past year, just one goal away from making the finals, and it, it is so hard to get back. So hats off to the Islanders. They had an incredible season. And they'll definitely be back, but just a very difficult way to, to go out. Yeah, it um, it sucks. It this just felt like our year, man. Just like the 2011 Jets felt like our year. You beat this, the Patriots, it feels like your year. You you win game four and six at home like that. And the way they were at home with the with the building on the line, just feels like your year. And to I mean to hear it in Barzell's voice in the post game presser. I mean, it just broke me. It's like this dude, this dude freaking loves the New York Islanders. And it's like, that's so good to hear. Like Tavares, and I love Tavares until he left, right? Of course. Um, but he was always so monotone. And for Barzell to literally be crying on the uh, at the press conference, like this dude's never leaving. Like it just, it feels like this, this group and this core is so tightly knit that there's a chance, but with the expansion draft and with four of your most important players coming up, um, it's, uh, it's just, it's a reality of life. You know, that this a reality of this game and sports in general, that Zizekas probably isn't going to be an Islander. He's one of my favorite Islanders ever. It's just like, he's probably not gonna be an Islander next year and it sucks, but I'm, it's it going to be such a fascinating off season to see how Lou wheels and deals this, this expansion draft. And unless Andrew Ladd, is off of the books. I don't see a way all four of those guys are going to be able to stay, but 
And of course you have Kyle Palmieri, Travis Ajak and Andy Green too. I kind of have all three of those. It's just right off like they're gone, um, which sucks too, but it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting off season and what was a really, really brutal loss. I mean, the Mayfield goal, it wasn't even the Pavilion goal. And I was like, Whoa, like that's a feeling I never felt before. Like we, this is our freaking year. Like, from you know the and then they just didn't show up on Friday. They just didn't play the game, and it sucks. Yeah, they're definitely not going to have the same team going forward in the next couple of years. Obviously, people are going to get cut. I, I'm I'm seeing on Twitter today though that they they really want to get something done with Palmieri if they can, and he wants to say so. That would be a good signing that that the Islanders can make right there. I mean, he played well for you guys throughout the playoffs. Um, but who knows, man? That there's there's so many different options that different routes the Islanders can go in order to, to make their team better and get players that they want. And I'm excited to see the off season for, for one the Islanders and two, the Rangers as well. So I'm excited to see that. And I, I'm really waiting for, for the off season to kind of pick up. Obviously the Stanley Cup finals are going on right now. Game one was last night, but I'm excited to see all the acquisitions that are made throughout the league. Um, Buffalo resigning a new coach today. So I, it's starting to pick up slowly and surely, but, but it's going to come to us soon. And I'm excited to see, see what's in store than that route. Yeah. It's going to be very, very interesting off season around these parts and we'll have it all covered for sure. Expansion draft, entry draft, free agency, RFA, all that good stuff. So um, we'll see how it goes. Uh, you did mention game one was last night um, for very obvious reasons. I was not exactly excited for this one. Um, as you can imagine, but it was a five one drubbing and this one, I, I, we said it after Colorado Vegas, so I don't want to say it, but man, it feels over already. Like it just feels like they have no shot. Um, but that's what we said after Colorado Vegas game one. That's what we said after Toronto, Montreal games one through four. So anything can happen, but man, that was an absolute drubbing last night at the hands of, of Kucherov and point who each had three points. Yeah, Montreal, give them credit. They definitely battled. They they didn't just, you know, wilt over. They, they, they fought the whole game, but it just came down to the skill of Tampa being so much higher than Montreal. And we, we talked about it when discussing, you know, the Canadians and what's gotten to this point. They don't really have that those star players. I mean, Caulfield and Suzuki, I thought, were their two best players last night, but they – they're not, I wouldn't say they're stars yet. They definitely have the potential to be, but I mean, stamp coast, he scored a goal. Kucherov with a beautiful goal point with three points. It was just the, the star players of the Tampa Bay lightning showing up and doing what they do. And Andre Vasilevsky was Andre Vasilevsky. I mean, he wasn't spectacular, but he didn't really need to be spectacular. He made the saves when they needed to be made. And, you know, it, and Carey Price made some outstanding saves. I mean, it could have been 6-7-1 easily. So definitely agree with the sentiment, you know, you can't write off this Canadiens team. But that was definitely not the performance they were looking for. And it does kind of seem like game two is make or break. Because, you know, even though they're going home after game two, so if they go down 2-0, you know, theoretically, as long as you win all your home games, you're still definitely in it it feels like if they have another performance like this and they lose, you know, three, one, three, nothing, four, one, something like that, it, it's going to be really tough for them to, you know, come back and win this series. Yeah. And they, they played well going up into the third period. It was I believe two to one going into the third period. And then obviously a five, one, five, one game it ended up being, but they've played a very physical game 
the entire night. 50, they had 58 hits to Tampa's 57, and that might be two of the highest number in hits for, for two teams, and especially in a Stanley Cup final game that I've ever seen. And they, they played neck and neck with them the entire time up until that third period, but they haven't played with that much quickness and really intensity in any other games in the playoffs this yet. And you really have to think going forward that like it wasn't sustainable for a team of that nature to, to keep up with the lightning and their quickness and their talent nonetheless. And they couldn't, and the, the lightning did what kind of what everyone thought they should be doing and, and thought they would be doing. So it, it was pretty much a dominating win for the lightning that came strictly in the third period. Um, Brandon point with another amazing game. Didn't score a goal though. Very surprising. Stamkos <laughs> had a Stamkos had a beautiful shot from a, not a pretty tough angle uh, in the corner over there and scored that, which gave him a good cushion to have. But you said it, Tyler. Game two seems like a must-win for Montreal going back home, and I I really don't think they're going to get many wins many wins in this series. I, I don't. I think Tampa is just going to be overpowering and too quick, too intense, too strong for Montreal to even put up a fight. So uh, I, I think Tampa is going to be able to roll and roll and Montreal is just going to have no stopping Tampa Bay for nothing. Yeah. Um, and I think you said it really well. I, I can't imagine you're picking Montreal, Tyler, and that would make it a clean sweep. Nope. Yeah. So we did okay with the picks, honestly. We did We did very okay. I had Tampa in the finals, but I, I had them against Colorado. Right. And I had them losing to Colorado in there. Right. Which is dumb of me because the entire the entire time we were doing picks, I was like, I'm not going against the reigning champs, not going against the reigning champs, <laughs> not going against them. And I went against them in the finals, and the team I went against them with got bounced. Yep. Uh, so – I think we I think we did solidly okay trying to pick a basically impossible tournament to pick. I'm pretty proud of us. Um, yeah, it was it was not a great game last night, and I hope that Montreal is able to make this a series. Although I am pessimistic. Um, you mentioned that you are excited for the off season to get off the ground, Mike, and I am too. Uh, there were three things today within the last like six or seven hours that kind of pointed to that. The first was Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who was one of the top three or four free agents, probably the top forward if you take Ovechkin out of it, um, who was available. He signs an eight-year contract with Edmonton for $41 million total, uh, which is a deal. I thought it was going to be closer to 64, um, eight by eight, but in the flat cap environment, he had to cut that in almost half. And, this is not a bad contract. When we had a conversation a few weeks back when Edmonton got eliminated, where I wasn't positive that Nugent Hopkins was the guy for this team. He ends up taking a little bit of a pay cut, and now maybe there's a little bit of flexibility to add somebody else. I like it in the sense of it adds some cap flexibility. I'm still not totally sold on Ryan Nugent Hopkins in his 30s being the guy Connor McDavid needs, but Edmonton felt like it was never going to let him go. So all things considered, Tyler, I would consider this a win for uh, Edmonton for sure. Yeah, it's definitely good value money-wise. I mean, I think towards the back half of that contract, it's probably not going to be the best. But, you know, we've seen in the NHL recently people signing these big contracts where I think it's kind of known that, you know, the last two or three years of this deal is maybe not going to be the best. But, I mean, they're signing them for now. They 
five million a year for a player of that caliber. I know you're not totally sold on him. I not as sold on him either, but I think that's definitely a good price for him. If they had gone out and given him, you know, seven million, I would have been like, okay, that that might not be the best move. But eight by five, you can't really hate it for for the Oilers, and it does give them the space to make more moves because you know it is a good signing, but it's not it's not like they need to make more moves. This, this move is not just going to propel them to, to, to new heights. So I think it's a good deal. You get one of your core players locked up for a pretty reasonable price. And uh, yeah, I, I liked it for Edmonton. No move clause too. I'm pretty sure. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's kind of the, the gold right there that he wanted. He didn't, he wanted, he wanted a contract, with no move clause and he got one, took a pay cut, but I mean, I think it's a great contract. Eight years, what is it, 51? 41. 41, eight. That, I mean, that's not a bad contract at all. Five yeah, million a year, I mean, for a player of his nature, and he's getting he, he's going to be getting old towards the back half of that contract. So, I mean, I like it. I don't mind the pay cut. I don't think he minds the pay cut either. He got what he wanted in the no-move clause. So, both parties can, can, can move on and be happy and focus on something that is – I don't want to use the words more important, but um, – Get, but get it, is, it is more important to find yeah, I, I guess the so. offense because the, for as long as Conor McDavid's been a pro, we've talked about like, man, oh man, they kind of stink and they keep paying Riley Nugent Hopkins over $5 million. It's now more important to add somebody to make us stop saying that they have $16 million in cap space. They do have some players to resign, including a starting goalie. I don't necessarily think Miko Koskin is that guy. Adam Larson is a free agent, Tyson Berry, Dmitry Kulikov. That's three of their starting defensemen. Yeah, Kyler Yamamoto, Tyler Ennis, Alex Chyson. There's some players to resign, but then they're going to have a little bit of change left over, and that's where Ken Holland is going to make a mark on this team that Peter Torelli could not. So I do think it's more important to go out and get these guys. They signed Nugent Hopkins, and that's fine. Um, and they're able to get them at a discount enough to allow them to sign these other things. That's why I'm not, like, totally against it. Look, eight years for a guy – who is currently where to go. He's 28 is a lot, but that's just kind of how, how, how it goes right now. And the Islanders did the same thing with Anders Lee. So I can't really criticize too much, but uh, we'll see. We'll see how that one plays out. Uh, The second one was Don Granado just got, I don't know. Did he technically get hired to get retained? I don't, I don't know what the technical verb. (laughs) Uh, He is now the permanent head coach of the Buffalo Sabres. He was the interim head coach. They were fine under him. They were, I mean, it's hard to be worse than they were under Ralph Kruger. Uh, that whole losing streak happened under him and they turned around a little bit Sands hall and um, Eichel. So they're not going to have either one of those guys next year either. So they are going to be really bad next year, which I, I feel bad for the guy. He's never had a head coaching job before. Um, and now he's going to be the head coach of the worst team in hockey uh who but it will have own power uh so don granado gets retained as the coach of the buffalo sabers which is fine although they interviewed like everybody in the world so they must really like him yeah i would be lying if i said i knew that much about don granado but they did vastly improve from what they were under ralph Kruger under don granado they snapped that losing streak and then i want to say they were pretty close to 500 the last 20 25 games of the season under him so that's obviously a good sign. And more importantly, you know, I think just reading some of the stuff that Buffalo players have said, I think Darlene had a really 
positive uh, experience under Granado. I think Middlestad had a really good experience under him. So that's really what this hire is about. You know, this team's not going to compete for a while now. They're going back into it. Feel they've never really escaped a rebuild, but they're kind of going back now to, to step one. So this hire is really all about kind of similar to when the Rangers hired David Quinn. This is about, you know, developing these players. So if you have these guys who, who said these positive things, you know, Darlene, Middlestad, these guys are going to be, you know, the hopeful core of the Sabres when they do eventually reach to contention. So if they like the guy, if they had a great experience under him, I see, I have no problem with it. Yeah, I don't have a problem with it. The main thing I, I, I think a team needs in order to go forward with the rebuild is, they need structure in their front office. They need a structure in their coaching staff. And by, by officially, I guess, hiring him as their head coach instead of their interim gives them that structure and they can now move forward with the process and get him a coaching staff if that's their plan. Get more players on their roster. Um, obviously, they need that. And to just grow from there, they can't grow without having a head coach who is not interim, who they, they need an actual head coach and they have one now. So they can move forward. And I think that's, one of the most most important first steps in like starting a rebuild and really just getting a coach in general. So, so I like the move. Um, yeah, I, I like the move. He had a tough season last year, obviously got put in a really bad spot, but what, what are you going to do? You, you, you can't do much with what, what he was given. So looking to improve for him this year and years coming, but I, I don't think they're going to be that good this year. <laughs> And another one who – another stop of the carousel was Seattle. I was their first-ever coach in Dave Haxtell. Um, it's hard to know how the hire is going to go because there's no players. But uh, he was the coach of the Flyers for a while. He was okay, fired for, in favor of Elaine Vigneault. He was an assistant for Toronto. It's a fine hire. I think Gallant was a better hire for Vegas, to be perfectly honest. And Gallant was available for Seattle, but the Rangers were able to swoop him up. And Seattle's going to go with Haxtell and Ron Francis, and that's fine. I think that it's going to be a developmental season, but it's hard. I, I should stop pretending. I don't know what kind of season it's going to be like because they don't have any players yet. So we're going to have to wait till the expansion draft to really analyze that one, um, but that's who goes to Seattle. So there goes uh, that first ever opening uh, in the Pacific Northwest. And then the last bit of off-season news was ESPN, ABC, that whole um, – group announcing their NHL roster. Just thought this was interesting because there are some names on here we are familiar with in New York. Number uh, Former New York Islander goaltender Rick DiPietro, former New York Islander forward Ray Ferraro, uh, Mark Messier, AJ Malesko, who works on NBC and the Islanders broadcast on MSG, and the former captain of the New York Rangers, Ryan Callahan. There are many others, including Chris Chelios, Kevin Weeks, also former Islander, Hillary Knight. Uh, so lots of really, really good names on here. Uh, I'm excited for new blood, right? Sean McDonough is going to be their number one um, play-by-play voice, and that should be great too. And I'm excited for new blood and new, as we've talked about a million times, um, new voices for the NHL on ESPN and Turner. Yeah, I I think it's time. Um, I'm excited for it. Just like you said, ready to hear new voices, um, see, see their intensity for the game, see how much they're knowledgeable and just see how much they actually love the sport itself. So I, I'm, I'm ready for it. I'm excited. Um, and I'm hoping that I'm hoping that it works out as smoothly as it seems like it has after we heard the, the initial announcement. Cause when, when we first heard that they were moving to ESPN, it was kind of like all jumbled up and no one knew who was going, what was going to happen. Now they have their roster. 
they can start really prepping, getting to know one another. And, and I'm, I think it's going to be a good year for them uh, in a couple of years, I should say, going forward after that. Yeah, I think it's a good mix, too, of, you know, they kept – you still got Brian Boucher, who I think he's done a great job. A.J. Malesko has done a great job. But also these new guys, DPHO, Callahan, um, I, I'm excited. I they got, I like Steve Levy a lot. He was doing hockey coverage back when ESPN originally had co- hockey. So he did a great job with that. I'm excited to see him again. And, yeah, I think they put together a pretty good crew. Obviously, we won't know until we start watching the broadcast. But just from, you know, name recognition and – seeing what these guys have done guys and girls have done in the past. I'm excited. Yeah. It, I think that this roster looks really good. I'm excited to hear Hillary Knight on TV. We obviously remember how awesome Ken LaCoyne Schofield was, and she's moved on to front office position in Chicago. Um, and so I'm excited to hear her. One of the great American hockey, play, women's American hockey players, American hockey players in general um, ever. Chris Chelios also in that list. And they have some really good names on here. So We'll see how it goes. And Turner will announce this same kind of situation soon. I'm sure Kenny Albert's supposed to be uh, leading that charge in the play-by-play realm. So we'll see how that goes. And um, really excited. You know, this is the last week of NBC, uh, NHL and NBC. We heard our last ever Pierre Maguire game, which I think is something we can all um, smile about and just just remember the great memories, really, <laughs> of the Pierre Maguire era. Um, a little longer episode today. Uh, so thanks for sticking with us. Uh, we got game two between Montreal and Tampa tomorrow. All three of us are going with Tampa as pretty much everybody is at this point on their way to back to back Stanley cup championships for Tyler Mooney and Mike Messina. I'm Chris Hennessy. We'll talk to you next week.